my soul. Oh, my soul. I like that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, every week, Kevin Tunnel was required to send $1 to a family he'd rather forget. And here's the reason why. That family sued him for $1.5 million in one. But the family settled for $936 to be paid $1 at a time. Payment was due every Friday. That way, Tunnel wouldn't forget what happened on the first Friday of 1982. That's the day that that family's daughter was killed. Tunnel was convicted of manslaughter and drunk driving. He was 17. She was 18. Tunnel had served a jail sentence, but he also spent seven years campaigning against drunk driving. But he kept forgetting to mail that dollar. The weekly payment was to last until the end of the year 2000. In other words, 18 years, the age of their daughter. And Tunnel was supposed to make the check out in the name of the victim. Then mail it to her family, and her family would deposit that dollar into a scholarship fund in the girl's name. But the girl had to take Tunnel back to court four times for failure to comply. After one court appearance, Tunnel had to serve an additional 30 days in jail for failure to send that dollar. He said, I wasn't defying the order, but I'm haunted by that girl's death. I am tormented by these weekly reminders. So he offered to send two boxes of checks that would cover all the payments, even one year extra. But the family refused. The mom said, we want to receive a check, and we want to receive it every week, and we want to receive it on time. Now there's no doubt that this family's anger was reasonable. But is $936 payments enough? Is $936 payments enough to demand for Kevin Tunnel taking the life of this 18-year-old girl? Will that family ever be able to put that tragedy to rest? Will they ever be able to forgive, Kevin? I mean, how much restitution will be enough? If you were that family, how many payments would you require? What about that person that has offended you? How many payments... Do you require before you're going to forgive that person? How many payments do you demand 
before you'll forgive that person who has offended you. Friends, no one makes it through this life without being hurt. No one makes it through this life without being injured in some form or fashion. No one. Just like that family, at some point or another, you've probably been a victim. That 18-year-old girl died, and it came because somebody drank too much. And maybe part of you died because somebody spoke too much. Maybe part of you died because somebody demanded too much from you. Maybe part of you died because someone neglected you too much. Maybe part of you died because someone didn't live up to your expectations or you didn't live up to theirs. Everybody gets wounded in this life. No one is immune. And when we get hurt and when we get wounded, here's what you must decide. How many payments will I demand from my offender? We may not require a weekly paycheck or a weekly $1 check, but you know and I know that we have other ways of settling the score. Silence is one way we settle the score. Hey man, if they offend me, I'm just going to ignore them. Pretend like they don't exist. Distance is another way we settle the score. Hey man, I'm just going to back off. I'm just going to stay away from them. When they come my way, I'm going the other way. Nagging is another way that we settle the score. Oh, I see you still have fingers on your hand. How come you haven't used them to call me on the phone? My mom has used that one on me. But it's amazing how creative we can get when we want to get even. We think, listen here, as long as I'm suffering, you're going to suffer. As long as I hurt, you're going to hurt. But listen carefully. Hurt can become hate. And hate will grow into seeking revenge. Somebody's going to pay for me hurting. Seeking vengeance. How's the score ever going to be settled? How many payments will I demand from my offender? You know, Peter had a, a very similar question for Jesus one day. And in Matthew chapter 18, that's on page 868 on the Bibles, in the Bibles in front of you. Matthew chapter 18, in verse 21, Peter asked the same question. Then Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often shall I forgive, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? 
up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle those accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But he was not able to pay. So his master commanded that he be sold along with his wife and his children and all that he had so that payment could be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him just a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and he took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. But he would not. And he went and he threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and they came and they told the master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant just as I have had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. Listen carefully. Jesus said, So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. How many, Lord, how many times shall I forgive a brother who sins against me? Up to seven times? See, Peter was worried that he would forgive too much. He didn't want to forgive too much. The Jewish law required that a wounded person forgive three times. So Peter said, all right, I'll double that and add one for good measure and call it seven times. He probably thought that he could impress Jesus, but guess what? He didn't. And Jesus says in verse 22, I tell you not seven times, but 70 times seven. And if you're thinking 490 times is enough times to forgive somebody, you're wrong. Because Jesus teaches us, don't keep tabs. Don't keep score on how many times you forgive somebody. If you're keeping score on your forgiveness, you're not forgiving. If you're keeping score on your grace, you're not being graceful. 1 Corinthians 13.5 says that love keeps no record of wrongs. Nor does it keep a record of how many times you're to forgive. God's grace has never been exhausted towards us. And neither should ours be exhausted toward others. So Jesus tells Peter the story about this unforgiving servant who was both a debtor, a creditor, and became a prisoner. And I think we can learn from the story of this unforgiving servant. First of all, we can learn that all people are debtors. We're all debtors. The man in our story had a great debt. And guess what? 
you do too. You do too. Wouldn't it be great if we could all be completely out of debt? Uh-huh. Well, that'll never happen to some of you because you got kids, amen? But if you happen to succeed in getting out of debt, guess what? You will still be in debt. Romans 13.8 says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. Love is a debt that we all owe. And you will never pay off that debt. It's a debt that we all owe. You should never stop loving people. You should love people till the day you die. But there's also, this man had a debt that he could never repay. Guess what? So do you. So do you. So one day this king decided to bring his accounts up to date and servants were brought to him that had borrowed money from him. In the process, one debtor was brought in that owed the king over a million dollars. Over a million dollars. And the servant couldn't pay it. And so the king ordered that he be sold along with his wife and his kids and everything he had until the debt was paid. This servant had some serious financial debt. Somehow or another, he had allowed his Visa, MasterCard, and Discover card to get way out of whack. Amen? But the biggest problem wasn't his out-of-control spending. The biggest problem that he had was that his debt was far greater than his ability to pay. It's the same problem we have. Our debt is far greater than our ability to pay. But here's the point of the story. Don't miss this. Because this story is not about money. This story is about sin. For we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The great preacher, Billy Sunday, was preparing for a revival in a large city. And so he wrote a letter to that mayor, and he asked the mayor to send him the names of people who were having some significant spiritual problems. Those that needed help spiritually. Two days later, Billy Sunday received a city phone directory from the mayor. The mayor said, every one of us have got a serious spiritual problem, and it's called sin. Every one of us have a serious indebtedness because of our sin. The problem we got is our debt to God is far greater than our ability to pay. One writer wrote, our pockets are empty and our debt is in the millions. He said, we don't need a salary, we need a gift. We don't need swimming lessons. We need a lifeguard. We don't need a place to work. We need somebody to work in our place. And that someone is Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. I love that verse because that tells me that Jesus traded places with me. I was the sinner. He was the righteous. He became the sinner so that I could become righteous. Now, does God demand that you reimburse him after you're saved? 
Does he demand that you reimburse him after he forgives you of your sin? When your feet go wrong, when your feet go a wrong, long, wrong way, does God demand that you cut your feet off? As a Christian, when your eyes look where they shouldn't, does God blind you? When you use your tongue for profanity or gossip instead of prayer and praise, does God just cut it out to pay for your sin? Of course not. God demands no payment. He demands no payment from us. Why? Because the payment was already made by Jesus Christ. And because Jesus made that payment, guess what? All of us are debtors. And our debt is far greater than our ability to pay. So not only are all people debtors, but all people can become prisoners just like this servant. This debtor become a prisoner. Why? Because he had an unforgiving heart. And when you don't forgive, you put yourself in a prison a prison of hatred, a prison of sorrow, a prison of misery. Someone once said, the world's worst prison is an unforgiving heart. An unforgiving heart. And even though this man was shown insurmountable grace, he refused to extend it to other people. In verse 27, we find that the king felt sorry for him, decided to let him go. In fact, he told the servant, hey, you don't even have to pay back the money. And as the servant was leaving, he met another servant. That servant only owed him a couple hundred dollars. And he grabbed that man by the throat and he started choking him. And he said, pay me what you owe me. And the man got on his knees and he begged that servant. And he said, have pity on me. I promise I'll pay you back. But the first servant refused to have pity. Instead, he had to put him to put in jail until he could pay what was owed. It's almost unbelievable. It's almost unbelievable. How could that servant do such a thing? Are these the actions of a man who was forgiven a million dollars? Are these the words of a man who has been set free from such a great debt? I mean, how can a person who has been forgiven like this not be forgiving somebody else? How can a man who has been shown mercy like this not show it to somebody else? How can a man who has been shown kindness like this not show it to somebody else? How can a man who has been extended grace like this not extend it to somebody else? I'll tell you why. Jesus tells us why. In Luke 7, 47, he said, He who has been forgiven little, loves little. If we believe that we've only been forgiven for a little bit, then we're only going to forgive a little bit. I read about a lady who came forward during a church decision time. She came to confess Christ and be baptized. And the preacher took her hand and he asked her to repeat a few words after him. And the preacher said, Dear Lord, I know that I'm a no good sinner. And that woman didn't say a word. 
And the preacher said to her, you do want to be saved, don't you? And he, she said, well, yes, but I'm not a sinner. And the preacher said, well, then you can't be saved because Jesus only died for sinners. But she said, but I'm a good sinner. And the preacher said, a good sinner? There ain't no such thing as a good sinner. Does that mean you're good at sinning? There ain't no such thing as a good sinner. We're all bad sinners. We're all bad sinners. And suddenly the woman was broken, convicted, and said, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. I know that I'm a no good sinner. And I need to be saved. And the preacher said, look, now you're ready to do business with God. Before you can recognize Jesus as your Savior, you need to recognize that you need to be saved. And if you view yourself as a good sinner, then guess what? You're only going to want to forgive good sinners. But the truth is this, every one of us are bad sinners. We're bad sinners, but God is willing to wipe away every sin. He guides us into this pool of mercy and he invites us to jump in. And some people do. But some people just stick their toe in. Amen. I think that's probably what this unforgiving servant did. He just dipped his toe in the grace of God. He never, never really thought that he needed to be forgiven. He never really thought that he had a debt that wasn't due. The king forgave his debt, but he never really accepted his grace. And as a result, Jesus said that he suffered a great deal. Hebrews 12, 15 tells us, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. That no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. You see, when you don't know how graceful God's been to you, you won't be able to extend grace to others. So every time you think, I ain't forgiven him, you just think, what if God said that to me? What if God said that to me? When the grace of God is missed, when the grace of God is not understood, when the grace of God is not really received, bitterness is born. But when God's grace is received and embraced, then forgiveness abounds. Someone once said, the longer we walk in the garden, the more we'll smell like flowers. Amen, I believe that. The more we immerse ourselves in God's grace, the more likely we will to extend grace to other people. During World War II, a German soldier jumped into a foxhole, and when he got to the bottom of that foxhole, he found a wounded enemy there. The fallen soldier at the bottom of that foxhole was soaked in blood and just about to die. And the German soldier felt pity for that wounded man, and he offered him some water from a canteen. Do that simple Small kindness, a bond was made between these two soldiers. And the dying man pointed to his shirt pocket. 
And the German soldier reached over and pulled his wallet out of there and took some pictures of his family and was holding those pictures to his eyes so that he could see his family one more time before he died. With bullets raging, bombs exploding all around them, with a war continuing, these two enemies were just for a moment friends. So what happened in that foxhole? What happened there? Did the evil of the world cease to exist? Nope. Did all, were all the wrongs made right? Nope. What happened was this. Two enemies saw each other as human beings in need of some help. That's what forgiveness is. That's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is rising above the war, rising above the conflict, looking beyond what we are, and choosing to see other people not as enemies, not even as friends, but as fellow soldiers who all they want to do is go home. That's what forgiveness is. As believers, we ought to be extending grace to other people. And I can't speak for you, but I don't want to suffer as a result of my unforgiveness. There's no place for it in the life of a believer. That's what we all need to do. Show forgiveness. Extend grace. You can't extend grace until you first really accepted it yourself. And can I tell you that even in the church, even in the church when you see conflict and backbiting and hurtful words being said back and forth, the reason that goes on is because somebody doesn't realize that they have received grace. And they better be about the business of extending it. They've received forgiveness. And we better be about the business of extending it. So friend, my question to you is today, is if you accepted the grace of God, have you accepted the forgiveness of God? And if you have, I want you to know unequivocally, that you will then extend it to other people. So if you've never accepted the grace of God, this is your invitation to do so. But if you've been harboring a hurt, if you've been harboring ill feelings, you've been withholding forgiveness, today's the day to get rid of that burden. I mean, how many payments are you going to require till you forgive? So whatever business you need to take care of with the Lord today, I invite you to do so. Let's pray.